to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Good morning, everybody. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord today. Thank y'all so much for for joining us today. If you're joining us online, thank you so much for being with us virtually today. Uh, If you don't know, my name is uh, Evans Astar. I am the youth pastor here at High Praises, and it's an absolute honor to be able to bring the word to you today, and uh, and I'm just very, very excited for for what God is going to do in our lives and what he's already doing what he's already done. Hey, this past week, my wife and Elizabeth and I were talking and, and reminiscing, and, and we were talking about how at one point in our relationship, we both worked at the same grocery store. And so we were kind of talking about all of the wonderful characters and people and memories and funny events and things like that. But after we had gotten done like reminiscing and, and, and talking about those days, I told her, I was like, hey, you know that the only reason I got that job at the grocery store was so that I could date you. Like I was not interested in any way like of just working for fun, but I didn't want to be a loser who was going out on dates with mommy and daddy's money. So like I went and I got this job for you because I wanted to be somebody who showed my love for Elizabeth with my money. And, you know, it helped us go out on dates and go see movies and do all kinds of things. But ultimately, that job helped me show my love to Elizabeth in an even greater way than all of the dates. After working for years, I was able to save up and buy a ring. And rings are expensive. And so I wanted to make sure that through my money, I could show to Elizabeth, I love you. I've bought an expensive ring. This is for you. Will you please marry me? And so in that event, that's why I wanted all that money. But as I was going to buy a ring, and you all know this, it's not enough just to buy an expensive ring. Because who cares if you spend thousands of dollars on something she thinks is ugly? She's going to tell you to take it back, send it back, see if we can get something else. She does not want to wear something that is ugly. So not only could I love Elizabeth like with my money, I had to love her with my knowledge. I had to know who she is and what she likes. I had to get her ring size to make sure that it actually fit on her finger. I had to kind of ask her what uh, her preferences were, what colors did she like, what colors did she not like. I had to make sure that I, I knew what she liked. And then honestly, after like five years of dating, I developed this intuition that's like, okay, this is her style. This is what she liked. It, I had to love her with my money, my, my finances, but it, that wasn't enough. I had to love her with my knowledge too. I had to tail my, ta- tailor my love to her. You know, as I think about that, that story of me buying that ring for Elizabeth, I realize that our relationship with the Lord is much the same. And here's what I mean. I know it makes us uncomfortable, but the scriptures actually speak a lot about money. And the, the scriptures call us to love God with our finances, to give to God and to honor him. And the scriptures aren't, you know, they, they don't just, you know, make, make it unclear that, that, you know, they don't just say surrender your money to God. They're very clear that ultimately what God wants you to do, how God wants you to love him is to take your finances and to sow it into the gospel. Not a man, not a vision, right? Not just an organization, into the gospel, so that just as you have been made children of God, so the rest of the world could be made children of God. But it's not enough just to give God our finances. God doesn't just want our money. He wants our hearts. And ultimately, he wants us to love him, but he wants us to love him the way he wants to be loved. He wants to be loved in knowledge, 
He doesn't just want us to send good vibes and emotions his way, but he has revealed himself and he wants us to say, Jesus, this is who you are and I'll serve you accordingly. But the problem that I've found with many Christians is, is that while we may sometimes be free with our money, when it comes to knowledge of God, we live on opposite extremes. That some of us are so much in the love camp, and yet we don't really have a whole lot of knowledge about God. We're ready to take down hell with a water gun, but we really don't know our way around the Bibles very much. And then over here, we've got people who we know a whole lot about God. We've got the Bible memorized. We can quote scripture to you, but maybe there's not a whole lot of active love in our lives. But God has called us to be a people who love him through and through with everything that we have, with our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, our finances, every bit of us, God calls us to give it to him. And so today, that's why we are reading from the letter to the Philippians written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. So I just wanna ask everybody in the room to stand today in honor of God's word and, and let's read what he says. Today, we are reading just the very introduction to the letter. It's just the introduction is all. And here's what he says. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing for the word. So here Paul is writing a letter to the Philippians. But what we're looking to, at today is simply the introduction to the Philippians. We have, we have not really got into the actual meat of the letter. Paul hasn't really addressed what he's really going to address and listen to me, this letter is awesome. I encourage you, go home and read it. It's only like four chapters. It's really, really short. It's got some amazing theology and, and, and just beautiful scripture in it. But today, we're, we're really just addressing Paul's preface. Here, Paul is greeting the church before he gets into the, the, the meat of his message, and he's just commending them on the things that he loves about them. He's just, just patting them on the back saying, I love you so much before he begins to deal with the issues. And it's that, that picture, that commendation that we are looking at today. And in fact, that's why I, I, I titled the, uh, the, the, the title, my goodness, I can't talk, of the sermon, a church like the Philippians, that we are finding two marks of what it means to be a Philippian church. So what is the first thing Paul says? He says this, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, 
always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. I mean, Paul loves this church. He prays with joy, but why? For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, what does Paul mean by your fellowship in the gospel? Other translations may say for your partnership in the gospel, that they have a fellowship or partnership, that they have locked arms with the gospel. Does Paul just mean I have such joy in my heart for you because you're Christians? I have such joy when I pray for you just because you know, you, we, we agree on the same faith? Well, no. I actually think Paul is speaking about something different here. I think Paul is commending them for their partnership in gospel ministry, that they have become partners of spreading the gospel throughout the world, that by partnering with the gospel, they are helping Paul to proclaim the good news of Jesus all across the world. And in fact, it's not gonna be on the screen, but if we were to flip over to Philippians chapter four, beginning in verse 15, here's what Paul says to them. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. So how does Paul use the phrase the gospel? He says that in the early days of the gospel, in the early days of gospel ministry, in the early days of spreading and preaching the gospel to the nations, what did the Philippian church do? When nobody else was helping Paul, they were in the ministry of giving and receiving. When nobody else was supporting Paul, they were financially supporting Paul. When nobody else had backed him, they backed him that from the early days of spreading the gospel of gospel ministry, they had said, Paul, we are behind you. We are with you. We are supporting you. We are giving to the gospel. And in fact, that's why he says this, jumping back to chapter one, verse six. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul is referencing a good work that the Philippians are a part of. And he says that God has begun this good work in you and he's going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's commending them for their good work and funding and supporting the gospel and the missionary efforts of Paul. He says in verse seven, just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you, all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul says, you have been so committed to me as a missionary and a minister that even when I'm in prison, you don't despise me, you still love me. That even when everyone else has rejected me, you still take care of me and fund me or whether I'm free and I'm out in the confirmation and defense of the gospel, you're still behind me. You're still with me. You're still in the ministry of giving and receiving. You are still supporting my efforts so that the gospel can go forth. And this is the reason that the apostle Paul has such an affinity for the Philippian church, that they, they personally mean something to him. That's why he prays with joy in his heart. 
It's why he says, I have an affection for you in Christ Jesus. That this is a spiritual bond and connection that the Philippian church was the first one to support Paul when nobody else would. A Philippian church is a church that gives to the gospel. And here's what I love that Paul says here. And here's what I think is so powerful. You see, if if you would go down to verse seven, um, he says this, um, you all are partakers with me of grace. In verse seven, he says, you're partners with me. You're my family. You're my partner. That's how he identifies them second. But how does he identify them first? He thanks them in verse five for your fellowship or partnership in the gospel. Paul notes that at the core of the Philippian church is not just a kinship with Paul. It's not just a partnership with Paul because they like him and he's got a good personality. It's not just because they love Paul. First, he says, I commend you for your fellowship or partnership with the gospel before he says, I commend you for your fellowship with me. The Philippian church is a church in love with the gospel and the gospel ministry. And then finally, I love this so much. Paul makes sure to tell the Philippians, you can't get credit for this because he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. That the Philippian church was a spiritual church. The Philippian church was a church set out to serve God The Philippian church was not a church doing things on their own terms, but a church being used mightily by God who began the good work and will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. A church sold out to serving God with everything that they have. A church committed to the gospel. And I don't know about you, but today I want to be a church like the Philippians that says, I will give all that I have, heart, soul, mind, strength, and finances to the proclamation and spread of this glorious gospel. The Philippians knew how deeply impacted they had been by this good news, that they were sinners on their way to hell, but the gospel was the power of salvation unto them, first to Jews and also to Gentiles, and they wanted the world to know the forgiveness in life they had too. It reminds me of uh, the story of this football player named J.J. Watt. Um, For most of his career, J.J. Watt played for the Houston Texans, and I believe it was in 2011 that they drafted him. They were the first team to give J.J. Watt a chance in the NFL. Not only that, but J.J. played there for years. I think he played there for like nine years or something like that. He just joined the Arizona Cardinals, nine or 10 years. I mean, this place was his home. The city loved him. They adopted him as like an adopted Houstonian, like, they, like he was one of theirs. I mean, they loved J.J. Watt. This is where his career grew. This is where he flourished. This is where they built around him. I mean, Houston gave him everything. So J.J. Watt's the kind of person, knowing how much Houston gave to them, he wanted to be able to give back. Well, in 2017, I believe it was Hurricane Harvey went through the city of Houston. I mean, just tore it up and that city was in need. And so now here's J.J. Watt and this city had given him everything and he knew it's time to give back. 
So he starts a campaign and says, hey, we need to raise money to rebuild the city of Houston. And here's our goal. We are gonna raise $200,000 for the city of Houston just to make a difference. Well, JJ, with all kinds of you know, fervency and passion, starts raising this money. And when it was all said and done, he did not raise $200,000. He raised $37 million for the city of Houston. That is a man who knows that Houston gave him everything and he wants to give him his all back. And just like J.J. Watt did that for the city of Houston, God is calling you and I to do that for the gospel that we should be people so deeply impacted by this good news that we can't just sit still and have it, we have to give it back. I encourage you to think about who you were before Jesus, a sinner, broken, dead and dying on your way to hell, but Jesus met you with the gospel, forgave you of your sins, turned you around and has given you life and life eternal. Let that get in your bones and fire you up to give back to the gospel so that what Jesus has given you, the world can have it too. And I encourage us too, may we be a church that is seeking for God to do a work among us. Remember, Paul says that he who began a good work in you. May we not only be a church deeply impacted by the gospel, but a church yielding to the Holy Spirit. A church praying, Lord, begin a good work in us. Lord, begin a good work in me. God, raise us up to spread the gospel to the world. Do something in our church. Would we be a spiritual people yielding to the very calling of God, impacted by the gospel, influenced by the Spirit, giving back what Jesus so graciously gave to us? but maybe today you've, you've got some objections. Maybe you're saying this, Evan, this sounds good. I agree, it's scriptural, I'm all for it, but I just don't have a lot of money. I just don't make a lot. I just don't have a whole lot to give. Can I tell you, Jesus doesn't care about that. He's not really concerned with the amount, he's concerned about your heart. I think about this story in the Bible where this little old lady is walking up to the temple and all the Pharisees are there and they're giving their money and man, they're dropping in hundreds and $500 and $1,000 and they're flexing on everybody and they've got their Rolex on and they're letting everybody know how rich they are and just how much they're giving. But this little old lady walks up and she only has about two pennies. She drops it into the temple collection box. And Jesus sees and he says, truly I say to you, this woman has given more than they. They gave out of their abundance. She gave out of her lack. Christ is not concerned with the amount. He's concerned about your heart. And I'm convinced that a God who can take a few loaves and some fish and multiply it can take your $5 and use it to further the gospel. So I encourage you to give today. But maybe you're thinking, okay, this is good, but I'm a little bit skeptical. Evan, just to be honest, I don't know what your motives are. Maybe you're watching online or you're new. Evan, is this sermon just a way for you to announce at the end that you are launching a brand new personal ministry, Evan Sistar Ministries, and you want us to give to it? No, I ain't got nothing like that. Sorry about it. Now, if you wanted to give to me, you just write my name. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. I'm, just, I'm not asking for that. Just kidding. Okay, maybe you're thinking, all right, you know, that sounds good. 
is this just a sermon, just a setup for, for you to get us to give to high praises? Are we struggling monetarily? Can we not pay salaries? What's going on? No. My goal today is really not to, give you, to get you to give to high praises. You should. I wish you would. I think biblically we bring the ties. But today my goal isn't really like to solve some problem. I'm the youth pastor. I don't get that kind of information, okay? I'm not that important. Maybe you're asking, okay, are you about to bring up a missionary or, or launch some new initiative? Which look, I love when we do that. When we get to particularly give to a certain cause or missionary organization, I think it's wonderful. But no, I have no hidden motive. I have no organization. Listen to me today. I am not concerned with you giving to a particular person, personality, missionary, organization, or man-made vision. I have just opened up the scriptures and I'm preaching to you the truth of God. We should be people who give to the gospel. I don't care how it gets there. I don't care what organization it is. I just want us to be a people that sow into the gospel. That's who I want you to be today. So look up organizations, be wise, you, you know, use your brain, pray with your spouse, and sow into the gospel whatever way you'd like to do it. But then finally, let me shift gears. Remember, we're reading the introduction to a letter. So I understand that these two points maybe feel a little disconnected, what I'm about to preach on next. But I think Paul really is commending the Philippian church for their love, first for their finances, but now he's praying for their love as a community. So we're shifting gears to our giving outward to the gospel. And now Paul is praying that they would be a people of love within their community. And Paul has a particular vision of what it means to be a Christian full of love and loving God and neighbor. And so this is what Paul says right here, beginning in verse nine. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So what does Paul say now? How is he shifting gears now? Paul says this, I want your love to grow. I pray that your love would grow. And then what is the end goal of their love growing? He says, I want you to approve the things that are better. I want you to stay pure, sincere, blameless, stay away from the things that are sinful. And ultimately it's to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Paul probably has in mind the fruits of the spirit that we know in Galatians. I want you to be holy. I want you to be Christ-like filled with the fruits of righteousness. I want your love to grow. Say yes to what's good, no to what's bad, and be filled with the fruits of righteousness. But this is not all Paul says. Paul wants us to grow in love, but he has a particular vision of how we grow in love. In fact, that's why he says this, I, and I pray that your love may abound still more and more. How? In knowledge and all discernment in knowledge and all discernment. Paul's vision for a church abounding in love is one who does it with knowledge and all discernment. Paul intimately marries love and knowledge, love and doctrine, love and truth. It is impossible for Paul to grow in love if you are not also growing in knowledge. 
impossible. And the Bible never paints a picture in which we could ever have love and not have knowledge. You see, our society, when we think of love, we think of good emotions, good, good vibrations. We, we think of, of, you know, the warm fuzzies in here that you feel towards somebody and it's really subjective and it comes and goes. But the Bible doesn't speak of love like that. In, in fact, listen to this. What does John say about God? John says, God is love. So our love is not a subjective feeling. It's an objective, eternal standard, the eternal God. To love is to be like God. Jesus tells us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But he, does he leave that up for interpretation? No. He says, on these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets, or the Old Testament, meaning that the entire information, knowledge, revelation of the Old Testament about who God is and what he commands can be summed up by love, not disconnected from knowledge, but married to it. So why Jesus tells his disciples, I give you a new command, love as I have loved you. Our love is to be measured by the person, work, and teaching of Jesus. Thomas Aquinas, maybe one of the, the greatest Western theologians in history, defines love very, very simply. He says, to love is to will the good of another. But how can I will the good of another if I don't actually know what good is? Love is married to knowledge. But the problem that I think that, that we face, especially in America, is that a lot of Christians in our country live on either extreme. We're either in the all-love camp, but we don't really have a whole lot of knowledge, or we're in the all-knowledge camp, we know a lot about God, but we never really put it into action. For the all-love camp, they, they make statements like this. We need to stop arguing about all that doctrine and theology and Bible, all that's a waste of time. We just need to love one another and everything would be all right. You know, and John Lennon's Imagine starts playing in the background. Lionel Richie starts singing, we are the world. And then we're hugging, we got ice cream cones together. A rainbow comes in the sky. I mean, we're just all buddies, right? It's a cute sentiment, it really is, but it doesn't work. Because love can never be divorced from knowledge. Think about this. What if my knowledge of God is different from yours? What if you think God is okay with sin, accepting of sin, maybe even affirming of sin? But I think that God is a holy and righteous God who hates sin, but gently and graciously calls us out of it. We could be in the same church service, but we are not worshiping the same God. And then ultimately, based on our knowledge of God, it's gonna affect how we love people. If God loves sin, then to love my neighbor is to affirm their sin. If God hates it, it's to call my neighbor out of it. My love is based on my knowledge of God and his commandments, who he is and what he wants. And what's scary is that there can be good, well-meaning Christians with a lot of zeal and a lot of passion, but maybe their actions and words really aren't loving. I think about this story in the Old Testament of these two priests named Nadab and Abihu. They went to go offer sacrifices to the Lord. But, and I do not recommend this, before they went into the temple, they got drunk. And then they surrendered their ability to use their knowledge, wisdom, and discernment. And so as they go into the temple, instead of worshiping God with the sacrifices and the way that he told them to do it, the Bible says that they offered strange fire worshiping God on their terms, not his. 
And the Bible says that he pronounced judgment on them and killed them. Now listen, I'm not telling you that story to like tell you that God's gonna sick the KGB on you or something if you like love him wrong. I'm not saying that. But my point is this, God wants to be loved and worshiped on his terms, not yours. And today, if you've got a zeal and a love and a passion to serve God and do amazing things, the spirit of God has put that in your heart. Keep that. I mean, if you are on fire for God, keep it. But listen to me. Every fire needs a fireplace or you will burn the whole house down. Place your fire in the knowledge and the wisdom of God. I kind of think about it like this. This is like a hypothetical scenario. Imagine that you have got a a cute little family, mom, dad, and like a very young little girl. And the mom's birthday is coming up and the girl wants to do something special. And all she knows is that mom loves flowers. I mean, she, lo- she talks about it all the time. She comes home with flowers. Whenever she's angry at dad, dad comes home with flowers. You know, she's got a flower garden outside the house. And she knows, I wanna get mom some flowers for her birthday. So the mom comes home, the little girl comes running up, extra cute, here's flowers, mommy, happy birthday. And she's like enjoying it for like two seconds. And then she realizes these flowers look familiar. And as she goes outside to her beloved flower garden, she realizes that child just ripped the flowers up and gave it to her. Now, every analogy breaks down. We're not angry at the kid, but in the most like literal wooden sense of the phrase, that kid was not very loving to her mom because now she had to go redo the whole flower garden. She didn't know, but if she would have known, she would have done something differently. We must have knowledge with our love. But then we have folks on the other side. And maybe this is you today, especially since I'm I'm speaking to to a church, to a Christian, to have been Christians for a while. Maybe you've got a whole lot of knowledge, but maybe you don't have a whole lot of love. And that's just as dangerous. That if you were honest with yourself, you know the Bible, you know theology, you can quote it, you can say it, you can explain it. Sometimes you teach other people. I'm talking to myself right now. You have to be careful that your knowledge doesn't turn into pride. And when I'm at that small group, when I'm talking to that younger Christian and and they're trying to explain something and they've already said like 18 heresies in a row and you know better that you aren't looking at them going stupid and like judging them. Listen to me. The apostle Paul says elsewhere, love builds up, but knowledge puffs up. And if all you've got is knowledge and it's never directed into love, You're not doing yourself any favors. In fact, that's why James says the the demons believe and they tremble. Orthodoxy is not good enough. In fact, let me rock your world. Satan's probably a more orthodox theologian than you are. He's just full of evil. You can know stuff and never really apply it. So the Bible is calling you today, not just to know, but to act. Not just to know, but to love not just to know, but to do. So what do we need to do today? If you're in the love camp, if you're honest and you're saying, man, I've got a passion and a zeal for God. I wanna do great things for him. I wanna follow him. I wanna obey him. I wanna storm hell with a water gun. Like I am ready to go. Do not sacrifice knowledge and understanding of God as something superfluous. You cannot love without knowledge. And so I call you grow in your mental understanding of who God is. Shameless plug, I encourage you to listen to Dad and I's podcast called Let's Talk About God. 
where we have you in mind and we break down theological concepts and explain them to everyday people to deepen your love to God. And I have no reason to promote that. We have had zero conference invites based on our podcast. We have made a total of zero dollars. I just want you to grow. That's the only reason that we do it. I wanna encourage you, study the scriptures and be intentional with them. I wanna encourage you, take part in the things we have in our church. Lord willing, in the spring, we're to be launching new small groups and hopefully we'll have some theologically oriented ones. This, this past um, summer, I taught a class called Interpreting the Gospels. And now somewhere running around this church, we have got 14 gospel ninjas who are just reading the word of God and getting the most out of it. Take part in that. Be serious about your understanding and your learning of the word of God. Be intentional. Buy books that are written for lay people, that, but that explain theological concepts. Another shameless plug, buy dad's book on the Holy Spirit, buy his book on grace. He did not tell me to do any of this. I am just shameless today, okay? But I say that to grow you, to grow your understanding. And as you know who God is and what he wants you to do, you will take that zeal and that passion and use it for his glory and ultimately be filled with the fruits of righteousness looking like Christ. But what about those of us who, who we know a whole lot, maybe we're a little prideful, we know a whole lot, but we're not doing a whole lot with it. First step for you, and I know this stings, it's not as fun as going and buying a theology book. You probably need to repent. God, I'm sorry for my pride. I'm sorry for the way I've looked down at other people. God, I'm sorry for patting myself on the back for, for what I think that I know. But after that, I call you to be intentional about putting your words into action. Start serving in church. Be intentional about spreading the gospel at work this week. Like, I am going to do it. Be intentional about serving that nonprofit, that ministry, or whatever it is. Like, put it into action. Take what you got in here, get it in here, and then give it out here. And then finally, I encourage you, do some work in here. Man, you might know a lot, but what if this isn't changed? Man, go through the fruit of the Spirit and ask yourself, Ask the spirit, what am I lacking? If he don't tell you, ask your spouse, what am I lacking? Is it patience? Lord, over this next month, I dedicate myself. Lord, give me patience. Make me like Jesus. Form me and shape me in your image. Is it contentment? I'm not very content. I complain all the time. Lord, over this next month, I'm dedicating myself. Lord, make me more content. Is it love? God, I'm dedicating myself to love. Is it forgiveness? God, I'm dedicating myself to forgiveness. That I wanna take what's been here my whole life and I'm making the choice to put it here and here. Church, you cannot love without knowledge. But if you got knowledge, you better love. So would you stand today? I wanna ask everybody in the room to just step down to the altar Go ahead and step down and we're just gonna have a short encounter with God. Come on, this is where we meet with the Lord. We dedicate and consecrate ourselves to him. And I'm keeping it very, very simple. As you get down here, here's the only thing I want you to pray. Lord, help me to love the gospel with my finances and help me to love you with knowledge. Lord, help me to love the gospel with my finances. And God, help me to love you with knowledge. 
And now once you're down here, whatever you gotta do, close your eyes, fall down on your knees, raise your hands, whatever it is. Come on, you and God. Lord, help me to love the gospel with my finances and you with my love. Begin crying and praying out to him. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.